I was very confident when I was on the mountain uh, my whole life. And I was the most self-conscious person when I was off the hill. A lot of the times really timid and, and shy. And I developed a persona almost. It was kind of a, a shield, an outer shell. I used that to my advantage. It kind of, to me, was a part of the skier. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. So I love bringing on professional athletes because to be a world-class athlete in any sport, they are unique mental models of the world that one has to take on, unique habits, unique practices. Athletes are superhumans in their own way. And I believe there's so much we can learn from the practices, the philosophy, the mental models of pro athletes. And I love looking at these ideas and figuring out what can I apply in life, in business, in family. Think about how much people like Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali have inspired us. Today's athlete is Lindsay Wong. She's not only an entrepreneur and investor, among many other things, but she is, get this, the most decorated American ski racer in history and is widely regarded as one of the greatest of all time, holding the woman's record of 82 World Cup victories and three Olympic gold medals. She's the best-selling author of Strong is the New Beautiful and recently her memoir, Rise, where she opens up about her struggles with mental health and the emotional toll that hard-fought success has had on her life. She's also a philanthropist, the founder of the Lindsay Vaughn Foundation, which provides scholarships to give future generations the tools they need to reach their goals and discover their grit within. I am so excited to have Lindsay Vaughn joining us. And as you're listening to this, if um, I know many of you, as soon as you hear a name like Lindsay Vaughn, if you're new to that name, you get on Instagram. So let me just give you her Instagram right off the bat so you can follow her. It's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-V-O-N-N. And that is also the spelling of her website, lindsayvaughn.com. Go check out Lindsay on Instagram. She would love to have you follow her. And she has 2.1 million existing followers. So Lindsay and I uh, were just conversing and we're excited about the conversation today. Um, there is no agenda to this conversation. It is not a how-to topic. Rather, we're going to explore the mind, the philosophy, the habits, the beliefs of this remarkable woman. Lindsay, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Lindsay, you know, you've you've written two amazing books. Um, and before we get to your more recent book, Rise, um, I wanted to ask you something about Strong is the New Beautiful. I, I love the title of that book because I have a nine-year-old daughter. My girl, Eve, just turned nine this week. And I'm curious, um, what do you think is the most important thing we need to do in terms of raising our daughters? I think the most important thing, I mean, for me and, and what my parents, I think, did very well was instill in me that anything is possible. You know, I, I never felt that there was a limit to things that I could do. You know, I feel like the conversation comes up a lot, you know, of did your parents say, relate men and women or, you know, what you could do as a girl as compared to what the boys could do. And, and I never felt that there was a limit. You know, there was never... Um, it was never a comparison. It was never, well, you can only do this or only do that. You know, the doors were always open and they always encouraged me in a very positive way. I mean, I came home from meeting my childhood idol, Peekaboo Street at nine years old. And I said, I wanted to be in the Olympics. And 
you know, nine years old and my dad didn't, didn't laugh. He didn't pause. He said, okay, but it's going to be hard work. Are you ready for it? And I said, yeah, sign me up. Let's go. And we made a 10 year plan to make the Olympics. Um, so I think, you know, there wasn't a hesitation of what? belief, you know, he a hundred percent believed in me. And I mean, I asked him, you know, recently if he really did. And he said, well, you know, it was a pretty lofty goal at nine years old, but, um, I wanted to give you the opportunity and, uh, I didn't really think necessarily you could do it until later on, but, um, I of course didn't, didn't tell you that. So, well, that, um, that is so, that's so freaking cool though. At nine years old, you set a goal that you wanted, that you wanted to be in the Olympics and your dad said, okay, great. We're going to do a 10 year plan. Now was your dad, what, what did your dad do? How did, how did this man suddenly have a nine year plan <laughs> on how to get his daughter in the Olympics? I mean, my dad was a sea racer when he was young. Uh, he blew out his knee when he was 18. So he never fulfilled, you know, his, the, the dreams that he thought that he could have right. achieved. Um, but he was a lawyer, you know, at that point, pretty removed from, from racing. But, you know, he said, if you want to do this, I'll help you. And he kind of him, actually his coach was also my coach. So they, they worked well together and kind of helped coach me. And, you know, eventually I got old enough to where I didn't need my dad's coaching anymore. But, um, I mean, he was a full-time litigator, so it's not like he had a lot of time to coach me on the side, but, but yeah, I think it was also a passion of my father's that, um, made him so excited to, to help me. It's, it's crazy how so many kids have these bold dreams and, and parents squash them. Um, I was just thinking about my son, Hayden. Um, so we're on holiday right now in Romania. So I'm actually in Transylvania at this point. Um, and um, I just, so I'm sharing this with my son. And recently I turned over to him and I saw him reading a book in classical French. I knew he was learning French. I didn't know he could read classical French. But when my son was five years old, he set a goal to speak all the languages of the world. That was his goal. I just, he said, I want to speak all the languages of the, of the world. And we didn't, we didn't mock him. We didn't say that's impossible. We said, okay, Hayden, go for it. And now he speaks like five languages. I speak one, but um, it's just amazing to see how kids have this completely different perspective of what is possible. Um, so congratulations to your father and congrats to you. How old were you when you first qualified for the Olympics? Uh, I was 16. Um, 16? I, so okay. I qualified at 16. I raced at 17. And then, um, and that was in Salt Lake City in 2002. So it was a pretty, wow. a pretty big Olympics to start in. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of also something that inspired me was wanting to be in a, in a home country Olympics, you know, for pretty much every athlete, that's right. not a possibility. You know, you, you never get to choose where the Olympics are. Um, and so my dad realized that was a huge opportunity. And also we got really lucky that because it was a home Olympics, there was a lot of funding at the time. And so I was kind of able to qualify for a development program, which helped pay for a lot of my racing as early as 14 years old. I don't know if I would have been able to make it as far as I did had I not had that program and those possibilities um, because I'm the oldest of five kids. It's a, a very large family and right. uh, needless to say, ski racing is not a, a, a cheap sport. Um, but I felt like, you know, between my parents' support of me and the opportunities, I was, 
I was given, I made the most of it and was able to capitalize on all those opportunities. How did you do in the um, the Salt Lake City Olympics? I was sixth, which um, actually was the best result of any female uh, American at the time. But because they had expected everyone to medal and they didn't, it was looked at as a huge failure. And so my mm. accomplishment really got brushed under the rug and, um, you know, it was pretty disappointing. And that kind of derailed me, honestly, in my, in my career, because it was such a negative experience because the whole team did wow. so poorly. Um, so I had to kind of recalibrate, you know, I'd been working towards that goal since, you know, since I was nine years old and it was not exactly the experience that I had hoped for. So I kind of had to recalibrate myself and figure out, okay, what are my next goals? And, and how do I turn this around? Because it's not, it's clearly not going to be as easy as I thought it was, or at least it wasn't going to be the positive experience necessarily that I thought it was. So I just had to create, create my, my kind of my own reality and, and what I was proud of instead of what, what everyone else was proud of. I mean, that, that must take a lot of grit and, and I'm holding up your book right now. I was looking at the most popular highlights in your book and uh, the most popular highlight in your book is this. This is from Rise My Story. It's when you say grit, she says, is a combination of passion and perseverance for a singularly important goal. The goal isn't to have it all. It's to get really clear on the things you do want so you can make the right choices. How did you come out of that situation? How, how did how did grit help you get out of that situation where you were 17 years old, you'd worked so hard for this, and all of a sudden your accomplishment was seen as such a failure? It was hard. You know, I, I again, I thought it was such so positive. And then, you know, everyone around me had this serious negative connotation to the entire games and everyone's performance. And I think my dad really helped me in, in that time. You know, I, I was pretty lost and I I had to figure out a way to get better. Um, and to kind of separate myself from my team because, you know, they didn't believe in me as much as I believed in myself. Really? Um, yeah. And so my dad helped me. I found a trainer, um, you know, a physical trainer because I was really thin <laughs> at the time. I was still, you know, a gangly teenager. I well, grew you were 17, up, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, I found a trainer and I, I kind of, I isolated myself a little bit more and focused more on myself. And, um, and I think that that really changed my confidence in myself. You know, I didn't rely on exterior positive feedback to be able to think that I was doing well, you know, I, I could do that on my own at that point. And I think that really helped me to get to the next level. And by the time I was 19, I, I won my first race the following season, I, you know, was when I was 18, I got my first podium and then 19, I got my first win, but it was a difficult time. I think after the Olympics, it's probably the hardest time in my, in my career. But again, I think it was focusing on my own goals and I, grit is something that I truly believe in because it's, it's obviously working hard towards a singular goal, but it's over an, ex, an extremely long period of time. So even though I had reached one goal, I tried to reset to another goal and continuously carry on, you know, working and not losing sight of, of what direction I was going in. And like, my friends make fun of me because I can, you know, if someone, if my trainer tells me to sit on the bike and ride for three hours, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I, I'm, I can, I can really laser focus in on something and not lose sight of like, not get distracted by anything. And 
That's, and uh, I've been like that since I was a kid. I mean, you you were a teenager. How did you, didn't you ever get fed up of the sheer amount of training you have to do, plus school, plus friends and dating and all the other things that teenagers do? How did you, what, what made you stay so focused on this singular goal? I've always wanted, wondered this about Olympians. Well, there wasn't really a lot of friends and there wasn't really a lot of dating and there definitely wasn't a lot of social life. So I didn't really have many distractions, but that was also by choice. You know, I, I knew, I mean, a lot of the people around me were going to parties and, you know, were having a lot of fun and, and ski racing, you know, in my ski club, they were having fun, but it wasn't a really serious focus Mm -hmm. for them. And I knew that it wasn't serious for them. And I, I knew when it was time for me to separate myself and, and focus on, you know, what I was doing. And I tried to find a balance of being able to have some sort of, you know, social life. But in the end, I wanted to be in the Olympics more than I wanted to have friends. And uh, that's always the choice that I made. And I, I, I don't know, my, I think that's one thing my parents did well is help me understand the consequences of my actions. You know, if I want to succeed, there are certain things that I need to choose to do. You know, it's, it's my choice. I could go to a party but will I win the race the next day? Most likely not. So, you know, what do I want more? And I always wanted to win more than I wanted to have fun, but winning was a lot more fun than than going to a silly party. And I can relate to that. When I was, when I was young, um, I was seriously into Taekwondo, which is Korean karate. My first, I grew up in Malaysia. My first ever trip to the U.S. was to represent Malaysia at the U.S. Open Taekwondo Championships. I was 17 years old, just like you. And that was my life. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any dating. I didn't have any friends. It was just school and martial arts, school and martial arts. Um, unlike you, though, I, I, I failed. I, did, I got knocked out at the championships. Well, at the you're, US Open. you're here. You're, you're successful. Yeah. So I don't think you're. <laughs> and I went from martial it's arts. It's not a failure. Meditation. It's not a failure. Yes. <laughs> um, but, um, but I can relate to that. It's, 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 it's admirable to be able to have that much of a dedication to a goal. Now, one of the big things that you talk about is dealing with depression, with anxiety, uh, with mental health. How do you stay focused on your goals and show up in life the way you do? when these conditions of mental health or poor mental health might strike? Um, I think I found different coping mechanisms in my life. Um, You know, I I started really struggling with depression when I moved away from home. Um, I was in, you know, Salt Lake City working towards the Olympics. You know, I was, you know, 16, 17, 18 and living away from home. I mean, I'd been traveling on my own since I was nine, but it still was a really isolating uh, time period for me and really became quite depressed. Um, But I focused, I tried to focus on, I mean, first of all, I got, I went to a doctor and I got medication and that really helped. And I think that, you know, it was probably the best way that I've managed that in my life. But I also tried to find different ways of, of coping and, and what to focus on. And skiing was a really great outlet for me. You know, it was, Honestly, with everything in my life, um, my whole my whole career, I've had a lot of ups and downs from the personal side. And skiing was always my my rock. You know, it was always the constant for me and something that I could rely on and look to to find, you know, joy and happiness. And I think 
in a lot of ways, it was a, a major crutch for me. Um, and so I used skiing over time in different ways to help me get through things, which, you know, you, you got to survive. So you have right. to figure out right. a way, you know, so it was good at the time. I think when I retired, it was not so good because I didn't have a crutch anymore and I had to figure it out um, on my own. And so I think that became quite, uh, quite a bit harder, but, but yeah, I, I found different ways to manage it. I also use journaling a lot. I didn't really talk to really anyone about it. I really internalized it and found internally a way to, to manage it in a way that I could perform my best, um, and keep, you know, everything in check as best as I could. So in, in Rice, you write about how, your mental health challenges influenced your career without defining you. How did this influence your career? Uh, what what did you have to do differently to adapt? I mean, I just had to take care of myself. You know, there was no one that was really going to help me. It's not like mental health. You know, at that in my career, you know, now it's a major point of conversation. But at that time, it's not like there was something yeah, that was really taken care of. People weren't really talking about it. I figured it out on my own. I'm curious how you structured your day. Okay, so you have you have you the entrepreneur, the icon. You have the training, and then you have the aspect of your mind, of your soul that you got to take care of. Take us through a day in Lindsay Bond's life. Like, how do you structure your day so you're nurturing your mind, your soul, your body? What does that look like for you? I think there are certain things, you know, because I don't have skiing anymore that, you know, help me a lot, which is, you know, fitness, working out is something that I need for my mental health. It's, it's really a way to, you know, get out energy that's within me that I am not able to expel without, um, without working out, you know, when I was racing, it was so easy, you know, <laughs> you're, there's adrenaline and, you know, there's a physicality to it that, um, that you really obviously don't have in a normal day-to-day life. So I've found that I have to work out in order to, you know, keep my mental sanity. Um, but I mean, I think, um, I, I try to sometimes excessively plan, um, I'm a, an organizer and I think there's so many variables in life that I can't control. And I sometimes try to, you know, control what little pieces of the puzzle I can and organizing really helps me. So I kind of focus on those little things that, you know, help my mind. And then what feeds me as a person is challenges. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I have so many things going on right now. I'm running around like crazy. I'm flying all over the place. But I really enjoy that, you know, it's not downhill racing, but it's a challenge. And, you know, I'm, I have my own goggle company, I'm, you know, designing goggles and and marketing and strategic planning, all of those things. And then I've got my, you know, ski clothing line, and I'm investing, as you said, and um, all of those things bring me a lot of a lot of joy. Um, My friends always think that I'm you know, I just love chaos, but I'm the oldest of five kids. And I feel like I thrive in situations where I have a lot going on. When I'm stagnant, and sitting in one place, I feel lost. So um, those kinds of things really bring me joy. So I kind of need to control certain things. But I also just, uh, I need to be doing a lot and always pushing right. myself. And- and that's incredible that you started a, a company that, that manufactures snow goggles and sunglasses. Uh, you can check it out at unique, Y-N-I-Q dot S-E. 
incredible. I don't ski, but I do need ski goggles the next time I go to Burning Man and yes. I will pay attention. To yes. These. Burning Man. They're perfect for Burning Man. You'll be the coolest person out there. Have you, have you ever gone to Burning Man? I have not. I've been invited, but you know, I don't do well with sand and like, I'm not a camper, <laughs> camper as, as, as much as I love the outdoors, you know, I need showers and I don't think I can handle it. So, but you I would have the coolest goggles. You would literally have the coolest I goggles would. at Burning if, Man. If I, if I could escape Burning Man after one day, I think I would go. But, you know, once you're there, you're there. So, but I would look the part. If I went, I would be, I would dress well. I collect, I collect sunglass frames. So I, I like what you've set up at Unique. Uh, the frames look beautiful. But, but that, again, is, is so much respect to you to be able to do both of these things, right? Being a professional sports person and running a product company. That is not an easy thing to do. How, how active are you in the business? I mean, are you um, full-on daily or are you more like a founder chairman and you have a team running everything for you? I mean, I basically am focused on you know, honing in on design and marketing, um, our social launches, you know, I have my own signature launches that I think I spend the most time on, but I'm also on the board. Um, I talk to the CEO quite frequently. (laughs) Um, we're hiring a lot more staff, so I'm helping interview all the new staff. Um, and we're doing another round of funding. So, um, you know, I'm helping with that as well. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty integrated into the business and, you know, I feel so much like, I mean, there, we also obviously have a lot of other partners, but, um, I take ownership in my, in, you know, it's kind of partially my company. So, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that and I want to make sure it's perfect. I'm curious if, if the mindset of an elite athlete in your case actually translates to better business leadership and acumen. Uh, In your book, you say, there's something that definitely separates me from everyone else. I have no fear. I'm never afraid of anything, including crashing. This is my strength and also my downfall. Do you feel this fearlessness in some way gives you an edge as an entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't see risk in the same way as others do, I think. Um, mainly because there's no physical harm to me. <laughs> I may make a mistake, but you know, my knees will be intact. So I feel like, um, and I, I, I kind of approach risk in business the same way I do in skiing where, you know, people may think that I'm insane skiing down a mountain at 80, 85 miles an hour on two wooden planks, but I, it's a calculated risk. You know, I am prepared physically. I am prepared mentally. My, my uh, equipment is dialed in. You know, I know the course, I know the snow. I, I have controlled as many things as I possibly can to give me confidence in what I'm doing. And I, I take that same preparation, you know, into my business where, you know, I have checked every box. I I'm very meticulous with what I do detail oriented. And when I feel prepared, I feel confident and I am willing to take any risk. You know, I like what you just said. It got me thinking, calculated risk. That really is the secret because you're going downhill at 85 miles per hour. And if you don't know the terrain, if you aren't prepared, that could be deadly. And I guess the same thing applies to business. I was just, as you were saying that, I was just reflecting the, there have been times when I've almost lost my business, right? I've been very open about the fact that I've almost like hit bankruptcy. And it was always a situation where, a certain variable that I knew 
me and my team had to pay attention to, somehow we got the uh, eyes off that number. We stopped looking at that number and we, we, we missed a key signal. Calculated risk, that's really, really, really important. Now, you also said this, you also said this, and I, I can see how it relates to business as well. When you get to a certain level, especially in downhill and super G, the difference between winning and 10th place is all about mindset. The difference is whether or not you're willing to push yourself to the limit. Your mental strength has everything to do with your success. How would you say that attitude translates to business? I think it's having, you know, mental confidence. Um, I think it's, I always felt like I got a lot of mental strength from my physical strength and the preparation, you know, that always gave me, I, I felt like a mental edge. And I think the same thing goes in business. You know, it, it is a mental edge. The risk taking is, you know, is, is definitely mental. You know, it's, it's whether you believe in what you're doing and you are willing to take the risk and what's your confidence level, you know? Um, and it's not a blind belief, you know, it's not an, there's not, it's not about ego. It's about um, working hard and, you know, putting yourself in a position to have the confidence based on, you know, the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. Right. But how do you know? Because in, in sports, you push yourself, right? But in business, sometimes there are opportunities where you have to stop. You have to give up. You're going down the wrong strategy. And if you're bullheaded about it, you could be wasting a lot of effort, money, and time. How do you know? How do you know if you're if you really need to keep pushing or if you need to just relent and go, okay, this path isn't working. I'm just going to try something else. I think it's very situational. You know, I think there's obviously a bit of instinct involved, but you know, in ski racing, you know, I I kind of tried a lot of things and it was fairly easy to see what was working and what was not working. Sometimes it was, you know, I worked really hard at one thing for a long period of time and it didn't work out. Um, but I didn't stop doing it until I knew it was, it was not going to work. And I think you can't necessarily do that in, in business. You know, you have to be quicker <laughs> and pull the ripcord when, when things right. aren't, aren't, aren't going right. I think it's keeping an open mind and, and taking your ego out of it. You know, I think a lot of people hang on to things in business too long because they don't, they have this fear of failure. And they think if I, if I pull the ripcord now, you know, people are going to look at this as a failure and you know, that's not the case. I think, you know, you take the ego out of the equation and you look at it from an open, open-minded perspective. And, you know, you, you really, can see you should be able to see things differently, you know, more more clearly. And again, I don't know. I, I feel in business, ego is kind of the biggest, the, most people's biggest downfall. Right, right. Yeah. No, I can I can see that. I can see that. So I wanna I wanna take the conversation now to confidence because you you openly talk about dealing with with confidence issues. There's a there's a quote in your book. A big part of developing confidence comes from knowing who you are which is something I didn't fully figure out until retirement. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted off the hill until I wasn't on it anymore. Now these feelings of value I once attributed only to skiing are part of my life without it. And that's been really nice. I'd love to have you talk about confidence, um, what you've learned about confidence, what you did when you didn't have it, how you you were able to get become confident in yourself and, and what your advice would be for the people here. Well, you know, like the quote you just read, um, I was very confident when I was on the mountain um, my whole life. And I was 
the most self-conscious person when I was off the hill. A lot of the times really timid and um, and shy. And I developed, you know, kind of a, a persona almost, you know, when I gave interviews and, you know, I was at events, you know, it, it was kind of a, a shield, you know, like an outer shell. Um, and I, I used that to my advantage. And I used it, it, it kind of, to me, was a part of the skier, you know, that was my, mm. my, you know, that was my outer, outer layer, but I wasn't confident in who I was as a person. And that's why, you know, in my personal life, I wasn't, you know, I didn't stand up for myself and I, I was kind of a people pleaser and, you know, was, was not able to make the right decisions in a lot of different aspects of my life. And I think given the bubble that I was in, in sport, it's not really surprising that that would happen. And it's not like I had opportunity necessarily to, to learn that. Um, and retirement forced me to really, again, get rid of the crutch that was ski racing to get rid of that shell and figure out, you know, how do I become a confident person or who am I, you know, as a person. Um, and once I kind of was able to reflect, um, and it took, quite a while. It took about a year and a half and, and good therapy. And, um, I think writing my book actually helped me tremendously in that, in that journey, but now I'm confident as a person and it's a completely different experience. And I'm, I, I make decisions every day that are smart ones and not ones that, you know, benefit others more than they benefit me. And that's hard. You know, it's a really tough decision. I, I know a lot of people that, you know, still have a hard time with that. And um, there's no quick solution. And again, you know, knowing yourself and what you need is, is actually really a really difficult thing. And that's why I think therapy is so important. Um, right. And it's, you know, it's, it's important to, you know, self-reflection and internalizing and, you know, looking within yourself is, is something that's, that's oftentimes very difficult to do, but the best thing to do. I know. I love the fact that you're openly talking about seeking therapy. I, I think it's so important. It used to be such a taboo topic. And, and right now, all the best people I know in the world, incredible CEOs, all the best people I know in the world are working with a therapist. Um, I work with many different coaches and healers myself. You said when you retired, that's when your confidence started to come as you found yourself. How did you find yourself and who is Lindsay Vaughn? Uh, it's a great question. I think my book helped me find myself. Um, and I think COVID actually helped me find myself because really to the point, to the point of, you know, as I talked about earlier, as a person, I find a lot of joy in being busy and I like, you know, a lot of challenges. Um, and I like pushing myself in that way. If it's not used in the right way, it can also be a way for me to, um, push down, any emotions or feelings um, because I'm busy. I don't have time to think about that kind of stuff. Um, so COVID was a really good chance for me to slow down and really process things. And I realized that I was unhappy in certain aspects of my life. And, you know, again, without skiing, what, what is it that makes me happy? Who am I as a person? And I think I've always been the same person that I am on the slopes. I just wasn't able to translate that into my life. You know, I, I wasn't able to carry that confidence with me um, because I didn't believe in myself off the hill as much as I, as I should have. Um, and I think it got better, you know, generally over time, but really those two years after retirement, um, 2019 and 2020 were, were really pivotal moments for me. 
And I guess me as a person, I'm, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. Um, I'm hardworking, uh, very determined. I'm very stubborn. I'm very competitive. All the aspects that I had in skiing are, are, are who I am, but I'm now able to be that confident person 24-7. Beautiful. Thank you, for, thank you for sharing that. You know what I'd like to do? We, we, have a, we have a Lindsay Vaughn fan with us right now, Joseph Sneeberger from Austria. Joseph, welcome. You're now live, and I understand you're in Austria. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Servus. I, I speak German as well. So, what what makes you such a Lindsay Vaughn fan? Tell us. First of all, certainly I followed her career, the entire career, uh, from the beginning 2002, because I'm also quite uh, interested and in, in skiing. I'm also a skiing instructor and skiing coach. So wow. I've her racing and her skill, uh, skiing skills a lot. I was really fascinated when I saw some of your downhill races and saw how much speed you have on your skis. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it sometimes, huh. but it was like that. And it That's was amazing, Joseph. Amazing thing for me. Okay, Lindsay, my question is, I mean, your career was really a long one. So it was more than 17 years, I think. And certainly there were some points where you it wasn't going on that well. So you had some setbacks like injuries or something else. I mean, there are some private things happening, as you said before. But uh, what really kept you going on? I mean, uh, start training again, do take a lot of time, do all the effort during the year that you can go on racing for the whole winter. I mean, what really kept you going on? I loved racing. You know, I, I loved going fast. As you said, I, you always watched me racing downhill, going fast. You didn't understand how I did it. I, I loved that. You know, I, I, my whole life, I loved going fast and, you know, no matter what injury I had or, you know, what setback I had personally, I always found so much joy in skiing and it's never been about being perfect or of course I wanted to win races, but I think in hard times, it was always the joy of skiing that got me to come back. And my competitiveness pushed me to win races, but uh, my passion is what always kept me going. I mean, I I think I raced for about 19 seasons and on the World Cup, and that's a, a long time. If you don't love what you do, I don't think you know I could have gone on that long. So. Um, it was always my passion and my love for skiing, which I'm sure I'm sure you understand because <laughs> you're on the yeah. mountain as well. You know, I'm on the ski every year, and yeah, I can really relate to that. Yeah, thank you so much, Joseph. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your question. Thank you, Fiatti. Joseph. Thank you so much for your question. It's always nice to have a live audience because we can bring up people who just are so connected to an author and and have such beautiful questions. And Joseph, I appreciate you and uh, hope um, you you enjoyed that interaction with Lindsay. So Lindsay, as we come to the tail end of this interview, your book is called Rise. And um, you can get the book on Amazon. Uh, don't forget to follow Lindsay Vaughn on Instagram. It's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-V-O-N-N. And her website is lindsayvaughn.com, same spelling. So go check that out. Lindsay has two books, as I mentioned. The most recent book is her memoir, Rise. And Lindsay, what did you realize about yourself and your journey as you were writing this book? 
I realized a lot of things, you know, a lot of things that maybe I just didn't want to think about um, that I kind of pushed to the side. It kind of really made me go through, you know, go through my life in a, in a chronological way. And, you know, my memories, like I, for example, I talked to my sister about things that she remembered from certain times because she was on the road with me for a few years um, after I was divorced and, and her memories were a lot different than mine. And I kind of tried to go back and figure out, you know, what, what my, because your memories, my memories were very emotional. So why were those moments important to me and why did I remember them? And then, you know, kind of comparing them to what my sister experienced and what was actually real and just, you know, kind of figuring out why I felt the way I did and, and processing that and really thinking about it. I, I, um, work with a therapist. His name is Armando Gonzalez. And um, he does a different type of therapy where you really focus on things that, you know, make you upset, like make you sad or angry. And you really think about them and process them because, you know, your brain can't, you know, get rid of certain trauma or experience without really thinking through them and processing them neurologically. Um, so I think it was just a good way for me to sit with those things and process them and learn, learn things that I maybe should have learned before um, and figure out who I was. And, and uh, all those, those experiences, I think just gave me a different type of reflection that I hadn't experienced before. Thank you. That, that's beautiful to know. What are you most excited about next, Lindsay? With the uh, with the investments, with the business, with the new company, what is the future like for you? I mean, honestly, life life excites me. You know, I'm happy every day I wake up. Um, I have the same outlook as my mother. You know, life is great, and every day is a chance to learn something new, to do something new, um, to challenge myself. I have a lot going on right now, and I love everything that I have and everything challenges me in a different way, but I don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, I feel like I meet someone or do something every day that kind of changes my path a little bit. Um, and it's leading me in a direction that I don't know what the end will, will look like, but I'm excited about the journey and I have no, I live in a life with no regrets. You know, I make always the best decision that I can in the moment. And I don't carry that with me. If I feel like I make a mistake, I learn and I move forward. You know, that's just kind of that's where I am right now in life. And is I think that, it's a great, it's a great place to be. Is that a big shift for you? Because as an Olympian, you're aiming towards one singular outcome, gold, gold, gold. And now you're kind of like, well, let me see what's going to happen. Well, I've kind of had to adjust that definitely since retiring, because, you know, to your point, there's always a very specific end point, you know, what is your goal? It's gold, or there's always a way to compare yourself. You know, there's always a reference of, did you improve or did you make a mistake? Um, and that's not always the case in business. It's um, oftentimes very unclear if the decisions you're making are working or not working. And, and um, when I was in the gym, if I worked hard, I saw you know progress. I was stronger. I was fitter. Again, that's not always the case in business. So it is quite difficult. And I think I've had to you know have this outlook that I do now. Um, in the sense that I just continue to work hard and I make decisions the best way that I can, making informed decisions, you know, doing my due diligence so that I can take risks with confidence. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, 
so be it. Um, and I will learn from that and move forward. But um, I'm not scared of anything. I, you know, started from the bottom and I don't really have any fear of going back. My grandparents lived a very simple life and they're extremely happy and um, I would be happy with the same thing. So I feel like I have nothing to lose. I like that. It reminds me of uh, a statement I've heard many other great entrepreneurs, including Elon Musk, say this, this quality of not having anything to lose. Awesome, Lindsay. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we covered a lot of stuff in this conversation. So once again, Lindsay is on Instagram at L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-V-O-N-N. Go check out her book, Rise. You can get it on Amazon. And that's Lindsay Vaughn. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you in the next episode of the Mind Valley Podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone, thank take you. care. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.